John 1, 29 through 42. This is John's telling of the stories, uh, some of the stories that uh, are the, the calling of the first followers of Jesus. So the first follow, he's just gathering his people uh, together. Uh, and what I, I want to point out to you is uh, a lot of times when biblical writers want to emphasize something, they repeat it. Uh, and in this little portion of scripture, there's a word or, or an idea that keeps getting repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated uh, all the time. Uh, so see if you can catch it. Uh, it's not always too easy to, to catch these things, but uh, I'll try to make it easy for you. <laughs> In fact, I think this one's actually easier. So um, let's read it. So John 1, 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, Petros, rock. We'll go that far. Why are you here this morning? Why did you come? Why are you here? Seriously, it's flipping cold outside. Why did you come here? Like the roads aren't in the greatest condition for traveling, are they? You risked your life to get here. In fact, just walking across the parking lot this morning, you risked your life. You could have come into the parking lot and said, I'm not walking on this and left. Why did you come here this morning? There are all sorts of better things you could be doing with your time, right? You could have slept in. Like it's dark most of the hours of a day. And how many of us here are like, I could use an extra hour or two of sleep. There are all kinds of different things you could be doing. You could be at home right now, curled up on your couch, under a blanket with a really good book. Maybe there's a fire roaring in a fireplace if you've got one, or maybe a space heater's your jam. You could be there. You could be there right now. Or you could be dressed head to toe in all sorts of warm stuff outside on a hill with a sled and some kids having a really fun time right now, 
Why did you come here this morning? Why did you show up? What are you looking for? Seriously, why did any of us come here? What are we looking for when we come here? Why are you here? So one day, Jesus, not long after he was baptized by John in the Jordan, right at the beginning of his ministry, uh, he and John the Baptist sort of meet up again. And really, I feel like it's a little bit of an odd story, don't you think? Uh, Now, it's way different than the way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell these stories about Jesus gathering his disciples together. John adds in these little twists, these little things that make you go, what is that all about? They, they make you stop and they make you wonder, huh, what's happening here? The way Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story, it goes a little bit something like this. Jesus is just walking along, right? And he sees out of the corner of his eye, maybe some just ordinary people fishing. Uh, and he says to them, essentially, follow me. And immediately, without thinking about it, it seems, they just drop their nets and they follow Jesus. And that's sort of how those stories go. But John tells the story a little bit differently. He makes you go, what is that all about? So here's how John tells the story. John the Baptist is just sort of standing there with a couple of his followers. Of Jesus, of his followers. We don't know what they're doing. They're just standing there, John tells us. And then John looks up and he says, hey, look, guys. There's the Lamb of God. What a strange thing to say. God's small, weak, tiny, vulnerable little lamb. What does that even mean? Now, whatever it means or doesn't mean to these first two disciples, they decide to to follow Jesus. And Jesus turns around and he sees them. And instead of saying, follow me, he says, what do you want? And a better way to translate that is actually, literally, what are you looking for? Did you notice? Look, see, saw was repeated time and time and time again in those first few verses. He says, what are you looking for? And then instead of telling them, instead of saying to Jesus, uh, we're, we're looking for the meaning of life or we're looking for happiness, they turn around and say to this guy that they've never met before, hey, teacher, where are you staying? Right? Where are you? Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like a couple of college kids who are looking for an invitation for a free lunch, doesn't it? Which is essentially what they get because Jesus says what? He says, come and see. Come and see. And so they do. And they spend the day with him. And we have no idea what that day was like, what they experienced, the things that they talked about, the things that they did. We have no idea. But at the end of it, Andrew finds his brother Simon and he says to him, we found the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one. We've found him. And then he convinces his brother Simon to come and meet Jesus. And then Jesus meets Simon and renames him, uh, renames him Peter. And the rest is history. The greatest, most dynamic, and influential movement in the history of the world called the church begins right then, right there, just like that. It's how it happens. It's an odd little story. But the whole thing hinges on that one simple question, yet profound question. What are you looking for? So we're going to talk about that. What are you looking for? 
looking for? It's an important question because on some level or another, whether we realize it or not, like we're all looking for something, all of us. Now, when most people are asked that question, what are you looking for? Most people will say happiness. I'm just looking for happiness. I just want, I just want to be happy. And because so many people are looking for that, there are all sorts of people out there who study what distinguishes between really happy people and then less happy people. And they found out that there's basically one thing, there's one consistent factor that separates really happy people from less happy people. So what I'd like you to do is just spend the next couple of moments, maybe 30 seconds or so, with the person next to you on either side of you, trying to figure out what that is. I want you to just take a guess with the people you're with. What is the one thing, the one consistent factor that makes, that distinguishes between really happy people and less happy people? Go ahead. I'll give you just a, a 30 seconds. What's the one thing? Okay, now I'm going to give you the answer. <laughs> I'm going to give you the answer. So there are all kinds of studies, and there are all kinds of studies that, that you could go to, and uh, we could cite them, and they would all come up with, with the same thing. Go ahead, Google it. You'll find it, right? All sorts. What makes people truly happy? The one thing that makes truly ha people truly happy is income, right? It's wealth. It's money. No, it's not money. It's not wealth. It's not a great job. It's not health. It's not attractiveness, how good you look. It's not IQ, how smart you are. No, the one thing that makes people truly happy, the one consistent factor is the presence of deep, joy-filled, joy-producing, meaningful relationships with other people. That's the one thing. How many of you said that? Just a few. Isn't that interesting? Now, if we really think about it, especially if we think about it theologically, which I do, it's my job, it shouldn't surprise us very much because God created the first person. God created the first human being and looked at that first human being and said, hmm, it's not good for Adam to be alone. So what did God do? God created the woman and the two of them enjoyed the first meaningful relationship, right? So meaningful relationships, it's part of what it, part of what it means to be a human being. It's, part of, it's sort of like built into our DNA. It's just sort of in there. We all look for it. We all crave it. We all long for it. We all want it. It's part of what it means to be a human being. So here's, a, here's an example. There's a British researcher named Donald Winnicott he made a fascinating discovery. He found that children who play in close proximity with their mother are more creative in their playing than they are when they're playing a long way off. He found that when children are playing in close proximity with their mother, they take more risks, 
They show more energy and they're more resilient. They're more likely to get up when they fall down and they laugh more when they're with their mama. So here's the central idea. When children are in the presence of love, right? something inside of them gets released in that child. They're a little stronger. They're a little bolder. They're a little bit more creative. When they're in the presence of that deep abiding love, they're allowed and able and feel freer to become more themselves, who they've been created. That's connectedness, right? That's happiness, isn't it? That's the power of meaningful relationships. What are you looking for, Jesus asked. And perhaps that's what those first disciples were looking for, a meaningful relationship. Maybe they were looking for someone to follow. Maybe they were looking for someone to learn from. Maybe they were looking for someone to love, for someone who would love them. Maybe they were searching for hospitality. Maybe they were searching for belonging. Maybe they were searching for a community. Maybe that's what they were looking for. They were looking for deep, meaningful relationship. Maybe that's what we're looking for. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe that's why all of us are here because something tells us Something inside of us tells us that in this place, that this place, the gathered community of God, that this place is the very best place to find deep, meaningful relationships. This is the place where we can be accepted for who we truly are. This is the place where we're safe. This is the place where we won't be judged, maybe gently corrected. This is the place where we'll find grace and love in healing and forgiveness. This is the place where we find all of those things. Yeah, I think that's right, don't you? I think we're all looking for a little more of that. But I think there's more to it than that. I think we're all looking for, for a little bit more than that. Maybe a whole lot more than that, more than just meaningful relationships with people who are as messed up as the rest of us. Maybe we're looking for more than that. Let's go back to the story. The two disciples, they follow Jesus to the place where he is staying. Again, they spend the whole day with him. We have no idea what's happening there. We have no clue what they do. We have no clue what they talk about. All we know is that at the end of it, Andrew is like, oh my gosh, I got to go find my brother Simon like right now. So he runs off. And the first thing he does is he finds his brother, Simon. And he says to Simon, we found the one. We found the Messiah. We found God's anointed one. We've found him. You got to come and see him. And so he convinces Simon to go and meet Jesus. He does. And then when Jesus sees him, he says, you are Simon, son of John. You will now be called Cephas or Peter, the rock. Now, from Simon to Peter, transformation. This is a biblical way of saying something happened that day that was so profound and so meaningful that these two men are not the same afterwards. They're they're different now. They're changed. They're transformed. They're new people. From Simon to Peter. So whatever happened that day changed those two men forever. And through them, what did God do? 
This is the beginning of the church. Through them, God changed the trajectory of the whole world through that one encounter, that one day. Those two men that day were changed because they met the Messiah. They met the Christ. They met the son of the living God. Those two men were changed that day because they met God in the flesh. They met God face to face. What are you looking for, Jesus asked. Maybe that's really what they were looking for all along. Maybe they were really looking for the divine. Maybe that's what they were after. One of the greatest ideas in the history of ideas is this, that God is the source of that basic question we all ask. What are we looking for? That God created us to look, that God created us to search, that God created us to seek after God. Someone once said that God created us with a God-sized hole in our hearts that only God could fill. Have you heard this? I like that. Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, said these words 16 centuries ago. Thou hast made us for thyself so that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. What they're saying is that the longing we experience, the emptiness we experience, the incompleteness we experience, this looking for something is built into us by the one who made us so that we would actually search after him. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? So I think we see glimpses of this searching, this longing. I think we see glimpses all around us because we live in a really dangerous world. We, we live in a world full of danger. We live in a world where people and nations fight to the death. We live in a world where nations will drop bombs on the leaders of other nations and then those nations will retaliate and drop bombs and that goes round and around and around and around and around and around and around and it never ends. We live in a world where crime is always present, where neglect and abuse never die. Like we look around at the world and we have this sense that we human beings just can't seem to get it right. Like we can't figure it out. How many thousands of years have we been walking on this planet and we haven't figured it out? So we all have this sense that, oh my goodness, we can't save ourselves. We need someone to save us. And because we have this sense that we can't save ourselves, we invent characters who can save us, right? We do this all the time, like the Avengers. Have you seen those movies? Now, I have to admit, I've never been an Avengers fan. I've never been a Marvel fan. I didn't even know what characters they were. I kind of knew about Spider-Man. I knew about, I knew about the Incredible Hulk because I'm old enough to have watched Lou Ferrigno play Incredible Hulk on TV. Anyway, I didn't even know about these characters. So it took Samuel, my oldest, a really long time to convince me to actually watch these movies. And then I watched these movies and I'm like, oh my gosh, these are really good movies. And these superheroes are amazing. And there's something about those movies that's so inspiring. It's like, yes, come and save us. And plenty of other people love these movies too because these movies have made billions and billions and billions of dollars at the box office. 
And then you've got movies like Star Wars, huge Star Wars fan. We love Star Wars because we want, we want Ray and Poe and Finn and Rose and Luke and Leia and the Force Ghosts and all of them. We want the Jedi to come and save us from the great evil that is out there in the world. Why do we create characters like this? Why do we create these great mythic stories like this where people come and save us because we can't save ourselves? Why do we do this? I think it's just a reflection. Could it be that that's just a reflection of the God-sized hole in the collective heart of humanity? Could it be that we create these great mythic adventures and stories about people coming to save us because we recognize that we just can't save ourselves? We need somebody to come and fix it for us. Could it be that those things are just evidence of just a, a searching, a longing, for the divine, could that be? I, I have no idea, I have no evidence to back it up, but sure seems like it to me. I believe that it is. What are you looking for? Maybe that's what you're looking for. A little, a little piece of the divine to come and put you back together again. Maybe that's why you're here. So I've got one simple conclusion, which is really a recap of what I just said, and then we'll pray. So all of us in some way or another are looking for something, are we not? If you are asked that question, you immediately recognize, yeah, probably looking for something, probably searching for something for a really long time. And when we think about the answer to that question, we start thinking about all the ways we try to, we try to sort of fill that longing we do, it through, we do it through money, if we just had the perfect job. If I just got in shape, it's the new year. How many of us are like, new resolution, I'm gonna get in shape because that will fill me and I'll be exactly what I want to be and oh, it'll be so happy. And then three weeks into it, you're like, forget it, right? We're all looking for something. Like the first disciples, maybe we're looking for relationships. Maybe we're looking for a place to belong. Maybe we're looking for connection. Maybe we're looking for a community. Maybe we're looking for a place to call home, probably. And all of us are looking for someone to follow, which ultimately means we're, we're looking for him. We're looking for the one who showed us what love is, who showed us what love does. The Lamb of God, that's who we're looking for. We're all looking for the one for the one person who gives us this place to be and a person to follow all of our lives. We're all looking for a cause, aren't we? We're all looking for a cause that's big enough to, to serve for, live for, love for, maybe even die for. That's why we're here. We're really looking for Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why you risked your life walking across the parking. Come inside here. Because you're looking for the divine. And now that we know who it is we're looking for, it's important for us to be a little more intentional about it. Not by just risking our lives walking across the parking lot to get into this building not just when we're here in this place, 
But when we're out there between Sundays, right, out there, because the one we're looking for, never really all that far away, is he? If only we were truly looking for him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways in which you speak to us. God, we recognize that, that in some way or another, we all have this ache in, in, inside of us. And sometimes we don't know what it is. Sometimes we don't know what to name it. Sometimes we can't even, we can't even figure out. We don't even know what to, how to talk about it. We don't have words for it. It's just there. And God, we try, to, we try to fill that ache with all kinds of things, all sorts of different things. Um, but we're reminded that that ache, that emptiness is, is sort of a gift as well. So that we would search for you, so that we would long for you, so that we would recognize our need for you. And that we would recognize our need for other people. You said the most important things in this world are to love our neighbor as ourselves and form those deep, meaningful relationships. But it's not just that. You told us it was more than that. You told us it was also to love God with all our hearts, souls, mind, and strength. Those are the two most important things. And you've created our need for that. And so... Help us to search for it. Help us to find it in here. Help us to find it out there. And God, there are all sorts of people walking around in this world who don't know that's what they're looking for, who have no idea. Help us to invite those people into this life of following you, into this place that you give us where we can connect with one another and connect with you because the whole world needs a savior. We all need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.